Section 90 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Book Second Gratitude in Full Despotism. Chapter One Joy Surrounded by Anguish. Mes Lettieri rang the bell furiously. All at once he stopped. A man had just turned the corner of the quay. It was Gilliatt. Mesletieri ran to him, or, to speak more accurately, flung himself upon him, seized his hand between his own, and gazed into his eyes for a moment in silence, the silence of an explosion that knows not where to break forth. Then, violently shaking and pulling him and straining him in his arms, he made Gilliatt enter the lower room of Le Brave, thrust to with his back the door which remained half open seated himself or rather fell upon a chair beside a large table lighted by the moon whose reflection vaguely whitened gilliatt's face and in a voice which was composed of mingled bursts of laughter and sobs he cried ah my son the man of the bagpipe gilliatt i knew well that it was you the paunch parbleu tell me about it so you went you would have been burned a hundred years ago it is magic not a screw is missing i have always looked at everything recognized everything handled everything i guess that the two paddle wheels are in those two boxes here you are at last i have just been looking for you in the cabin i rang the bell i was in search of you I said to myself, where is he, that I may devour him? One must admit that extraordinary things take place. Uh, this animal has returned from the Duvre Reef. He brings me back my life. Thunder, you are an angel. Yes, 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 tis my engine. No one will believe it. They will see it and will say, it is not true. All is there indeed. Everything is there not a screw-thread is missing, not a bolt is lacking, the tube for the feed-pipe has not budged. It is incredible that it should have suffered no injury. It only needs a little oiling. How did you manage it? And to think that the Durand will go again. The wheel-shaft is dismounted as though by a jeweler. Give me your word of honor that I am not mad." He stood erect, took breath, and went on. Swear that to me! What a revolution! I pinch myself. I believe plainly that I am not dreaming. You are my child. You are my boy. You are my good providence. <laughs> ah, my son, to go and get my rascally engine on the open ocean, in that snare of a reef. I have seen very queer things in my life. I have never seen anything like this. I have seen Parisians who were devils. I scorn the idea that they could do that. Tis worse than the Bastille. I have seen the gauchos tilling the pampas. They have for a plough the branch of a tree with an elbow to it, and for harrow a faggot of thorns drawn by a leather rope, and with these they harvest grains of wheat as large as hazelnuts. Tis a mere trifle by the side of you. 
you have performed a miracle in very truth ah the scamp come throw yourself on my neck we shall owe you the whole prosperity of the country how they will growl in st samson i am going to busy myself instantly with making the boat over again tis astounding there is nothing broken about the connecting rod gentlemen he has been to the douvre i say the douvre he went all alone the douvre the worst pebble in existence do you know have they told you it has been proved it was done intentionally clubin sank the durande for the sake of swindling me out of some money which he was to bring me he got tangrui drunk tis a long tale i will tell you about his piracy some other time i stupid brute that i am had confidence in clubin he was caught the rascal for he couldn't have been able to get away there is a god scoundrels you see gideat instantly whack whack we'll have our irons in the fire and rebuild the durande we will add twenty feet to her they build boats longer now i will buy timber at danzig and bremen and now that i have got the machinery i can get credit confidence will return as Lethierry paused raised his eyes with that look which sees heaven through the ceiling and muttered between his teeth there is one then he placed the middle finger of his right hand between his eyebrows with the nail resting on the bridge of his nose which indicates a project passing through the brain and went on never mind in order to begin again on a grand scale a little ready money would have been the thing for me ah if i only had my three banknotes the seventy-five thousand francs which that brigand of a rantin returned to me and which that brigand of clubin stole from me gilliat silently fumbled for something in his pocket and placed it before him it was the leather belt which he had brought back he opened it and spread out on the table this belt on the inside of which by the light of the moon they could decipher the word clubin he drew from the pocket of the belt a box and from the box three bits of folded paper which he unfolded and handed to mes mes examined the three pieces of paper it was light enough to render the figures one thousand and the word thousand perfectly visible mes took the three notes placed them on the table side by side looked at them looked at gilliatt remained speechless for a moment and then came something like an eruption from an explosion that too you are a prodigy my banknotes all three a thousand each my seventy-five thousand francs did you go to hell itself it is clubin's belt pardieu i read his filthy name on it gilliatt brings back the machinery plus the money that's something worth putting in the newspapers i shall purchase timber of the best quality i guess you must have found his carcass clubin rotted in some corner we will get the fir at danzig and the oak at bremen we will have it well planked we'll put the oak inside and the fir outside in former times they did not build ships so well and they lasted longer it is because the wood was better seasoned 
because they did not build so many. Perhaps we will make the hull of elm. Elm is good for the parts under water. It rots a thing to be sometimes dry and sometimes wet. Elm wants to be always wet. It feeds on water. What a beautiful Durand we are going to fit out. They can't dictate terms to me. I shall have no further need for credit. I have the Sioux. Has the like of this Gilead ever been seen before? I was flat on the earth, dead. He sets me on my pins again, and I was not thinking of him in the least. He had escaped my mind. It all comes back to me now. Poor fellow! Oh, by the way, you know, you are to marry Desruchettes. Gilead placed his back against the wall, like a man who is tottering, and said very low but very distinctly, No. Miss Leterie gave a start. How's this? No. Gilead replied, I do not love her. Miss Leterie went to the window, opened it, closed it again, returned to the table, took the three banknotes, folded them, placed the iron box on top of them, scratched his head, seized Clubin's belt, flung it violently against the wall, and said, There's something the matter. He thrust his two fists into his pockets and repeated, You don't love Derichette. So it was for me that you played the bankpipes? Gilliatt, with his back still to the wall, turned pale like a man near his end. As he grew pale, Letieri grew red. Here's an imbecile. He does not love Derichette. Well, make up your mind to love her, for she shall marry no one but you. What devil of a story are you telling me? Perhaps you think I believe it? Are you ill? Very well, send for the doctor, but don't talk nonsense. It is not possible that you should have had time to quarrel already and to get angry with her. It is true that lovers are so stupid. Come, have you any reasons? If you have any reasons, tell them. One does not make a goose of himself without having a reason for it. But, however, I have cotton in my ears. Perhaps I heard wrong. Uh, repeat what you said. Gilliatt replied, I said no. You said no. He sticks to it, the brute. There's something the matter with you, that's certain. You said no. Here's stupidity that surpasses the limits of the known world. Men get ducked for less than that. Ah, so you don't love Desruchettes. Then it was for love of the old man that you have done all you have done. It was for Papa's fine eyes that you went to the Douvre, that you have endured cold, that you have been hot, that you have been dying of hunger and thirst, that you have eaten the vermin of the rocks, that you have had fog, wind, and rain for a bedchamber, and that you have accomplished the task of bringing me back my engine as one brings back to a pretty woman her canary-bird which has escaped. And the tempest of three days ago, do you suppose that I don't appreciate the matter? You have had a hard time. It was while pursing up your mouth in heart-shape toward my old noodle that you hewed, cut, turned, veered, dragged, filed, sawed, built, invented, planned, and performed more miracles all alone by yourself than all the saints in paradise. I, idiot! Yet you have bored me enough with your bagpipe. 
It is called a binu in Brittany. Always the same tune, you brute. Ah, you don't love Deruchette. I don't know what's the matter with you. I recalled it all quite well now. I was there, in the corner. Deruchette said, I will marry him. And she shall marry you. Ah, you don't love her. On reflection I don't understand it at all. Either you are mad or I am. And here he never says a word. It can't be permitted to a man to do all that you have done, and then to say at the end of all, I don't love Deruchette. One does not do people a service for the sake of putting them into a rage. Well, if you don't marry her, she shall remain a spinster. In the first place I need you myself. You shall be the pilot of the Durande. Do you imagine that I am going to let you off like this? No, 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 dear heart, I shall not let you go. I have got you. I won't even listen to you. Where is there a sailor like you? You are my man. Come, say something. In the meantime the bell had roused the household and the neighborhood. Douce and Grasse had risen, and had just entered the room with an air of stupefaction and without uttering a word. Grasse had a candle in her hand. A group of neighbors, bourgeois, mariners, and peasants, who had run out in haste, stood outside on the quay, staring in amazement and petrifaction at the smokestack of the Durande in the planche. Some, on hearing Mes Lethierry's voice in the big room, began to slip in silently through the half-open door. Between the faces of two gossips was thrust the head of Sieur Landoy, who always had the good luck to be where he would have regretted being absent. Great joys ask nothing better than to have witnesses. The rather scattered support which a crowd offers pleases them. They start afresh from it. Mesletieri suddenly perceived that he had people around him. He welcomed the audience at once. Ah, here you are, you fellows. Tis very lucky. You know the news. This man has been there, and has brought it back. Good day, Sieur Landoy. Just now, when I woke up, I espied the smokestack. It was under my window. Not a nail is missing in the thing. They make pictures of Napoleon. For my part, I prefer this to the Battle of Austerlitz. You get out of bed, good people. The Durand comes to you while you are asleep. Well, you are putting on your nightcaps and blowing out your candles. There are people who are heroes. Some are a pack of cowards and idlers. They coddle their rheumatism. Fortunately, that does not prevent their being madmen. These madmen go where it is necessary, and do what must be done. The man of the Bue de la Rue has just arrived from the Douvre rocks. He has fished up the Durand from the bottom of the sea, he has fished up the money from Clubin's pocket, a hole that was still deeper. But how did you do it? But you had the very devil against you, wind and sea, sea and wind. Tis true that you are a sorcerer. Those who say that are not so stupid after all. The Durand has come back. Tempests may rage now. This cuts them out. My friends, I announce to you that the shipwreck is no more. I have examined the machinery. It is like new, perfectly whole. The steam valves work as though on wheels. 
one would declare it a thing made only yesterday morning. You know that the waste water from the engine is taken outside the boat by a tube, placed in another tube, through which the cold water passes as it enters the boiler in order to utilize the heat. Well, those two tubes are there, the whole engine, and the paddle wheels, too. Ah, you shall marry her. Marry whom? The engine? asked Sieur Lamboy. No, the girl. Yes, the engine, both. He shall be doubly my son-in-law. He shall be the captain. Good day, Captain Gilliatt. He's going to have a ship, a Durande. We're going to do business with it. There will be trade, and circulation, and commerce, and cargoes of cattle and sheep. I wouldn't give St. Sampson in exchange for London. And here's the author. I tell you that tis a great adventure. It will be read on Saturday in Father Moget's Gazette. Gilliatt, the crafty, is a cunning fellow. What Louis d'Or are these? As Lettierie had just observed, through the crack in the cover, that there was gold in the box which lay on the bank notes. He took it, opened it, emptied it into the palm of his hand, and placed the handful of guineas on the table. For the poor, Sieur Landoy, give these sovereigns in my name to the constable of St. Sampson. You know about Rantin's letter? I showed it to you. Well, I have the banknotes. Here's the wherewithal to purchase oak and fir and to do carpentry. Look, do you remember the weather of three days ago? What a massacre of wind and rain! The sky fired cannon. Gilliatt received that in the Douvre, but it did not prevent his unhooking the wreck as I unhook my watch. Thanks to him I have become someone again. Father Lettieri's galiot is going to resume its service, ladies and gentlemen, a nutshell with the two wheels and a pipe. I have always been crazy over that invention. I have always said to myself, I'll make one of them. It dates from a long time back. Tis an idea which occurred to me in Paris, in the café at the corner of the Rue Christine and the Rue Dauphine, while reading a journal that spoke of it. Do you know that it would not embarrass Gilliatt to put Marley's machine in his fob and walk off with it? That man is of wrought iron, of tempered steel, of diamond, a mariner in good earnest, a smith, an extraordinary fellow, more astonishing than the Prince of Hohenlohe. I call him a man of mind. None of us amount to much. Sea dogs, that's you, that's myself, that's all of us. But the lion of the sea is here. Hurrah, Gilliatt! I know not what he has done, but he certainly has been a devil of a fellow. And how can you suppose that I would not give him Deruchette? Deruchette had been in the room for the last few moments. She had not uttered a word. She had not made a sound. She had entered like a shadow. She had seated herself, almost unnoticed, on a chair behind Ms. Lettieri, as he stood there loquacious, stormy, joyous, talking loudly and with many gestures. Shortly after her another mute apparition had entered, a man dressed in black, with a white tie, with his hat in his hand, had halted in the opening of the door. 
There were now many candles in the group which had swelled slowly. These lights illuminated from one side the man clad in black. His profile of a young and charming complexion was outlined against the dark background with the purity of a medallion. He leaned his elbow on the corner of a panel of the door and rested his brow on his left hand, an unconsciously graceful attitude which set off the height of the brow by the smallness of the hand. There was a hold of anguish at the corner of his contracted lips. He scrutinized and listened with profound attention. Those present, having recognized the Reverend Ebenezer Caudray, rector of the parish, had drawn aside to let him pass, but he had remained on the threshold. There was hesitation in his attitude and decision in his glance. This glance occasionally met that of Deruchette. As for Gilliatt, either by accident or intentionally, he stood in the shadow, and only a very confused glimpse could be had of him. At first Miss Leterie did not see Monsieur Ebenezer, but he did see Deruchette. He went to her and kissed her with all the ardor which a kiss on the brow can contain. At the same time he extended his arm towards the dark corner where Gilliatt stood. Deruchette, said he, you are rich, and there is your husband. Deruchette raised her head in bewilderment and looked into the darkness. Miss Leterie continued, The wedding will take place immediately, tomorrow if possible. We will have a dispensation, and moreover the formalities are not difficult here. The dean does what he pleases, and one is married before one has time to cry, Look out! It is not as it is in France, where there are bans and publications and delays and all the falderals, and you can boast of being the wife of a brave man, and there's nothing to be said. He's as a sailor should be, and I thought of him from the very day that I saw him come back from Erm with the little cannon. Now he has come back from the Douvre with his fortune and mine, and the fortune of the country. He is a man of whom it will be said one of these days that he is impossible. You said, I will marry him, you shall marry him, and you will have children, and I shall be a grandfather, and you will have the good fortune to be the lady of a fine fellow who works, who is useful, who is astonishing, who is worth a hundred others, who saves the inventions of others, and who is a providence. And you, at least, will not, like nearly all the rich, proud hussies of this countryside, have married a soldier or a priest, that is to say, a man who kills or a man who lies. But what are you doing in your corner, Gilliatt? We can't see you. Deuce, grass, everybody, light, illuminate my son-in-law like the day. I betroth you, my children, and here is your husband, and here is my son-in-law. He is Gilliatt of the Bue de la Rue, the good fellow, the great sailor, and you shall have no other husband, and I will have no other son-in-law. I pledge my word again on it to God Almighty. Ah, there you are, Monsieur le Curé. You shall marry these young people for me. Miss Leterie's eye had just fallen on the Reverend Ebenezer. Douce and Grasse had obeyed. Two candles placed on the table lighted Gilliatt from head to foot. How handsome he is, cried Leterie. Gilliatt was hideous. 
He was as he had been when he had emerged that same morning from the Douvre Reef, in rags, with tattered elbows, a long beard, bristling hair, eyes red and bloodshot, skin peeling off his face, bleeding hands, and with bare feet. Some of the pustules made by the octopus were still visible on his hairy arms. Lethierry contemplated him. He is my true son-in-law. How he has fought with the sea! He is all in rags! What shoulders! What paws! How handsome you are! Grasse ran to Deruchette and supported her head. Deruchette had fainted. End of chapter 1 Joy surrounded by anguish